huge. But then there's the VA renovation loan, which like nobody knows about yet, but it's like the 203k except all the benefits of the VA. It's actually much better. Um, so both loans are zero down and that's the real kicker. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Hey everyone, real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent free. To get a free copy, text house hack all one word to 22828. That's house hack all one word to 22828 to get your free copy. Welcome to the show, David. We appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Bradley, Drew. Yep. So uh, tell us a little about your background in the military uh, and going from that and maybe starting to get into real estate. Like what what led you to real estate? Yeah, long story short. So joined the Marine Corps in 2008. I'm a transportation logistics guy by trade. I couldn't afford to go to school and didn't know what I wanted to study. And I wanted to leave Arkansas. So I was like, military sounds great. And then the Marines had the best uniforms and best salesmen, I guess, at the time. So I, I bought into it. Um in that first like four years, I got to live in like 13 different or live in two countries, three countries, and then go to like 13 different countries, see the world, uh, do the Afghanistan thing, do all the fun stuff. Right. And uh, stayed in the military. I six years in, I was a recruiter and I'm on recruiting duty in Springfield, Missouri, which is like the southwest corner. And somebody handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They're trying to get me into Amway to like sell products through the multi-level marketing or whatever. And they handed me. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And they were like, yeah, you should read this. And I kind of jokingly was like, yeah, I'm a Marine. I don't I don't read like I haven't read since high school. I don't like reading. And uh, this guy, like no kidding, pulls out of his pocket a CD of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he's like, well, you drive a lot and now you have no excuse. Here it is on audio. And I was like, damn. All right. Well, OK, I can't just not do it now. Like you basically called me a little a little girl. So, um, all right, well, I'll, I'll listen to this stupid book and tell him what's up. And then like I listened to the book. And then I downloaded Audible and listened to a couple of Bigger Pockets books and Cashflow Quadrant. And within three months, I bought a house uh, duplex. Um, so it was uh, it was kind of like one of those like, oh wow, I'm an idiot. Why haven't I been doing this? This is a great idea. And yeah, uh, yeah so that's kind of my intro into real estate, I suppose. Can you tell us about your uh, first house hack and uh, how did you finance it? Yeah, I used the FHA loan. I should have used the VA loan, but my lender basically told me like not to waste it, which, you know, knowing what I know now about the VA loan and the fact that you can use it multiple times, like it's cost me almost 10 grand not using the VA loan. Um, but you know, it wasn't the end of the world. So I used the FHA, it was three and a half percent down. And then I'm still paying $57 or something like that in PMI four years later. Um, but it was, I mean, I found it on the MLS, so it wasn't the best deal, but it cash flows. It's just a little two bed, one bath duplex with a shed in the back for storage. I was paying 550 a month to rent a two bed, one bath apartment. And my mortgage on this thing at the time was 615. So I was like, well, you know, if, if I'd never find a tenant, I'm going to be paying a hundred and whatever, $115 more or whatever, or $75 more a month math for Marines, um, uh, $75 a month more to li- to own this place. So like I'm paying that much in equity. It just makes sense. Like I can't lose. Um, and then I bought it and there's a tenant in place and they were great. And I stayed there for like a year. Uh, they paid all but like a hundred and something dollars of the mortgage. And then I moved out and I moved to Hawaii and it's been cash flowing. I mean, I've even like the 
the taxes have gone down or whatever, like the pities dropped somehow. I don't, I don't even really know how that happened, but it's down to like 585 a month for the mortgage and it's pulling in 1050 gross. And my, uh, I mean, my expenses on that property are super low. So it cash flows is about 350 a month after all said and done. If I, on a good month, I mean, probably 250 is what I usually pull out, but, um, yeah, so that was my first deal. Um, and I've got it four years later with, it's probably appreciated 20 grand and yeah. Yeah. That's uh, we hear that same basic story over and over again, you know, with house hacking, what allows people to do. So you bought a second deal, which was actually commercial was your second unit right in Missouri. Uh, tell us a little about that. Yeah, that was my second like rental property. The uh, I bought five acres in between there, but that was not really an investment. Um, it was just I didn't want someone to own the land near my wife's primary house. So I bought it. Um, and then, yeah, so I bought this 10 unit while I was in Hawaii. I was home. So I'd sent a bunch of letters home over Christmas to look for duplexes and triplexes and stuff, pulled a list off list source and hand jammed a bunch of notes, which I learned very quickly that you don't handwrite notes unless you're really serious about that property. Cause it took me like six days to write a hundred, hundred, 120 letters. And man, I could print that in like 20 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't handwrite anymore unless it's a house that I really, really want to buy. And then, um, uh, I went home and this guy called me. He's like, yeah, I've got a duplex, but I don't want to sell it to you. And I was like, you kind of like, okay, well, why are you calling me? Um, and he's like, but I've got a 10 unit. Like, oh, all right. Well, let's talk. And so I was able to walk through, like walk around the outside of the place and walk in one of the units um, before we were under contract. And then I was back in Hawaii. And so the you know due diligence, inspection, appraisal, property manager, all that stuff was done without me. Um, to this day, I think I've still only ever seen the inside of one unit. Um, but yeah, about the 10 unit and I got some, I got some crazy, like we were supposed to, it was going to be 80% bank financing and then 10% seller financing and 10% out of my pocket, which is kind of the perks of a small local bank. They let me do the seller financing and only come 10% out of pocket. But when we negotiated the repair costs for one, I was reading the book, uh, never split the difference. So I was able to get like, uh, $6,000 back more in repairs than I actually needed. Cause I was like, well, let's try this stuff. And it made yeah. it, it save me like four or five, $6,000 in repair costs. Um, Great book. yeah, I love that book, but they decided to, and I've never really seen this before. I mean, it, it happens, but it's never happened to me before, but they decided that rather than just giving me the money back or giving me, uh, or doing the repairs, like, let's just take it off the top of the purchase price, which you know, wasn't the best way to do it, but I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Like it's, it doesn't work. None of the stuff that needs to be done is like important and I'm getting more money back anyway. So I can't complain, complain. Um, but I guess somewhere in there, they forgot to tell the bank. Um, so we show up to closing. Well, I show up to closing. I mailed my stuff in from Hawaii yeah. and uh, everyone else shows up to closing. And I guess the bank showed up with the original check amount as opposed to the reduced check amount. So here I am with the seller having like 10% ish coming out of their check and they were still paying the same amount. But the bank hadn't reduced its original check by that like twelve, sixteen thousand dollars or whatever. So the bank basically told my uh, agent, "Well, you can like get him on the phone. He can either send send us a check for half of what he sent us this time and close with half of this down, or he can wait for us to go back through this process for a week or two and redo the check." And I was like, uh, "Yeah, I'll just send you less money." Um, so I got into the property for it was like ten thousand nine hundred down, which is only like four point nine percent. And then, you know, I just refinanced actually last month and I've got, I pulled, so I pulled 14 back, but I paid off the seller financing. So I essentially got all, but if you factor in the seller financing that I refinanced 18 months later, I've got 62,000 in equity and I got all but $2,000 of my original investment back 
and I dropped my payment 200 bucks a month. So, wow, infinite return, like uh, a lot of people talk about Kisaki yeah. in general, rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely made my original investment back two or three times over in the last two years now. So, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Very cool. So, why do you uh, prefer to buy and hold real estate? Man, the, the four main pillars, right? The cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, and uh, debt pay down. So, um, I like the I like the comfort of cash flow, right? I like having a little bit of money to reinvest and stuff. Although, if I'm being honest, my my cash flow usually doesn't get reinvested. It usually gets dumped into my hobby, which is the podcasting and the YouTube and the social media, like all of right. those expenses. So, I guess long term, that's an investment. But for the moment, it's just kind of like break even um appreciation i don't get a ton of that in springfield but i've still i've still probably built amongst all my properties probably built 100 120,000 in equity and appreciation in the last four years so i mean that's a definite benefit it's not like san diego appreciation but um depreciation is great i love me some uh, some tax breaks you don't get those with a lot of other investments yeah uh, i love getting a, a fat check back at the end of the year and being like man my biggest problem was i i didn't have enough exemptions on my taxes this year. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, debt pay down. I mean, that's huge to me. That's the one that I, I forget about that, like in my head until the end of the year, when I look at my loan and I go, Oh yeah, my tenants paid off like $4,000 for me. I yeah. forgot to factor that in on my income. Like on the, the 10 unit I make, uh, it's like 9,800 a month, a year in, in uh, debt pay down. And I just don't even think about it. And so every year there's another ten thousand dollars essentially that adds to my net worth that i'm just like totally oblivious to um which is good because i would spend it if someone handed me ten thousand dollars so that's my favorite part you know my cpa actually has a separate whole separate column for me for debt pay down depreciation and what that you know on top of gross and all you know so uh it's incredible speak a little bit to the fact we have a lot of military to listen to the show um and speak a little bit to you know buy and hold long term and house hacking and but the financing behind it va loans and other benefits of, of being uh, a veteran or, or in the current military. And there's so many benefits to being a veteran. Uh, number one being people don't people underestimate the fact that we get a housing allowance. It's like right now in San Diego, I'm getting paid thirty one hundred dollars a month, and the the allowance for housing is tax is not taxed. So I'm getting thirty one hundred dollars non taxed as my allowance for housing. If I spend a thousand dollars a month on a place, I keep the other twenty one hundred. If I spend the full 3000 yeah, sure. I, like the place I'm in right now is a 4'3", 2,600 square feet, brand new place. It's super nice. I'm renting because uh, I just wasn't going to be here long enough to deal with California tenant laws. Right. But I'm paying $3,000 a month, but they let me Airbnb rooms. So I'm essentially only paying like $1,500 a month to live in this. Like like I got to pick what kind of grass I wanted in the back, brand new place. <laughs> um and, and, you know, so I'm house hacking that way, I guess, but I get to keep that other piece, but I'm going to write off all the Airbnb expenses against my taxes and my housing allowance that I'm keeping is not taxed. So it's like this just double win-win. But then on the financing end, we have the two, two, there's two loans that are, well, there's actually more. Navy Federal has a zero down loan for service members that a lot of people don't know about. Um, but the VA loan, which is huge, but then there's the VA renovation loan, which like nobody knows about yet, but it's like the 203k except all the benefits of the VA. It's actually much better. Um, so both loans are zero down and that's the real kicker. So there's a limit, right? Once you once you break a certain limit, you have to pay 25% down of whatever you go over on that limit and that varies by zip code, but it's a reasonable amount, right? Like if, unless you're buying a really nice place, you're not going to go over that limit. That being said, the limit disappears in January 
And so you'll be able to do as much as your debt to income can afford you will be zero down. Uh, wow. But I, but you can't do that on your that's only on like your first use. So if you use your VA loan a second time, I think the, it goes back to the original limits. Um, and there's stipulations. You can't have like six VA loans out for zero down. You've got to have um, I think it's a max of two. But then like I can't buy this house and then a year later move next door with a VA loan. It would have to be like move 50 miles away for work or uh, you know, have to upgrade because my family's growing. Like the intent behind the loan is to give your family a place to live. But as long as you, and this is the phrase, intend to live in the property for a reasonable amount of time, generally assumed to be a year, when you buy it, then you can, then it, you know, you can buy it with the VA loan. So if you intend to buy it and then you get stationed elsewhere, like, oops. Um, or, you know, so it's kind of like the FHA, a lot of those guidelines but it's uh yeah it's zero down there's no principal or private mortgage insurance so it's cheaper um it usually gets a lower interest rate so it's still cheaper there is a funding fee that's like two percent but it's way more affordable than paying pmi and if you have 10 percent disability it's waived so it doesn't even uh, exist which 10 percent disability for service members is pretty pretty easy the only catch to that is you have to be out of the military to get your disability rating so okay. um, you know if you buy while you're still in you don't get that but Again, funding fees cheap considering you're not paying any money down. So right, speak to the uh, to the you know the extent the VA extension of 203k. I mean, I did a 203k. We brought Matt Picaro on who has done 203ks. I know people personally. I mean, I love the FHA version. Um, you know, just because you don't need the out of pocket money to be able to take on you know moderate to high level uh, renovations at a ton of equity. What is that process like with the VA? which sounds like it's an even better uh, you know, option for veterans than the 203K. Yeah, man, I should have pulled up my, I, have, I actually have an article that like compares, like it's a table, um, but there's so many differences, but the- We can we can put that in the show notes for people if, if you send yeah. that over. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. That works. It, it, it does a better job comparing because if I try to get into the weeds on this, I'm going to misspeak on something. Um, but essentially it is, it's zero down, zero down on the renovations. Um, it has to be a VA approved contractor, you know, all the typical stuff. It has yeah. to be the plans have to be approved. And then there's all the normal stuff where it has to be worth X dollars more than what the purchase and renovation costs and whatever. But I mean, that that's good. That gives you yeah, that's a good thing, right? Um, and then they actually have the environmental uh, side of the house, kind of like the FHA, except there's not really a limit. So there's the generally assumed is like six thousand dollars is the limit for environmental upgrades in the process. But you can go over that with the VA loan, I think, without a cap, as long as the money saved through your environmental upgrades is more than what the monthly addition to your loan would be. So if it costs you twenty five thousand dollars to put solar on the house and it adds two hundred dollars to your monthly payment, but you save $300 in electricity, then you could justify that as a, a upgrade to the house environmentally as well into the you know renovation budget. Um, so there's some really cool stuff that you can do with that loan. I haven't gotten to do it yet, but I mean, it just blows my mind. Like lenders don't know that exists. I mean, no, but it's so new. So it was, it was piloted, I think by Loan Depot like three years ago. And it just like last year or this year became an official like whatever. Um, but I knew a guy in Loan Depot with Loan Depot who had done a, I want to say it was like 1.3 million all in on purchase and renovation in Hawaii wow. for like zero down. Wow. Because um, it was like a, or the, the house was worth that. It was like a yeah. $600,000 purchase with like $200,000 in renovation. It appraised wow. for like one point. I mean, it was nuts. Yeah. And uh, and the guy had bought it zero down. And I'm like, holy crap, like that's amazing. Right. Um, so it's a pretty cool, I mean, the you know, you can't do the live-in flip. It has to be done before you move in. But 
if you're getting equity when you move, oh, and you know, you live in a hotel while that's happening. So whatever. Um, I actually had a friend who did this on a fourplex and he did the renovation loan and the loan took like seven months to finish. It was only supposed to be like, like three months to finish the work. It took like six or seven months. So by the time it had done that, he's like, dude, we've lived in this freaking apartment for like six months. Like I'm not moving again. Like unless you pay me to move all my crap again, like I had to out offload out of my storage and everything to move in here. Cause your storage, when you move somewhere, the military will only keep it for a certain amount of time. And they went past that window. So he's like, I already had to pay the movers to move all my shit into my house. So unless right. you're going to pay for that, I'm not moving into the house. So he did the whole VA renovation loan on a fourplex and never occupied the home. Um, wow. And he's cash flowed ever since. So it's, wow. it's a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, that's amazing. And he did that. I want to say is it was legitimately zero, like not a penny out of pocket for the entire process. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's an incredible uh, you know feature you guys can use, and not a whole lot of people do. Um, yeah. You know, especially with investment properties. And I, I just speak to this. I don't know if you did. Uh, no matter if it's a, a one unit, two unit, or four unit, there's no cost difference, is there? No, no, it's okay. a, it's all it's good up to four. In fact, and this is one of those facts that nobody will ever use, but I'm going to spit it out there because it's just funny to me. Um, you can actually buy a six unit if you partner with. Make sure I get this right. If you and I were both veterans and we both had the VA loan and we decided we wanted to buy this thing together, we could buy. It's I want to say it's six residential units with an office. So like seven wow. total units wow. as one purchase, as long as we're like together, which is just wow. kind of cool to think about. Like we could basically be roommates next door yeah. and rent these other four or five places out. Yeah, no kidding. Like it's a pretty cool setup. No kidding. No kidding. That's awesome. I'm going to do that when I get to Missouri, like rent by myself a building with an office in it and live in my or work out of my office and have my home and like house like everything else. Yeah, no kidding. Like perfect world. <laughs> cool. So uh, you do some long distance real estate investing. Uh, can you tell us how that's worked to your advantage? I think it, you know, I mean, I don't know that I would say it's a huge advantage, except for the mentality piece of like, so many people are very, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's definitely a benefit to be able to see the property, but people get so wrapped around seeing the property, walking through, doing this, doing that, getting involved in everything, being in the weeds, and that doesn't necessarily make for a bad deal, but it adds stress to your life. Like, I have plenty of friends who self-manage because they're there, and they end up, like, micromanaging stuff and doing stuff late at night and doing all this crap. Like, for me, I spend less than an hour a month on my real estate. I might get – I've had a really, really bad last two months. Like, I had someone die in my building, and I guess no one knew that he existed, so he was there for, like, two and a half weeks. I had to dump like five grand on environmental cleaning. And then the next, the next, like three weeks later, the furnace in that place went out and it was like another two grand. And then something else that like, it's all like the, that unit and the one next to it just have like imploded. Um, and I've had two phone calls with my property manager, neither one over five minutes and all of it taken care of. And so to me, that's the benefit of long distance real estate. When I lived there, I would find myself going by the property, looking at this, looking at that, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, the only time I spend on my properties at all is balancing my Excel document for my income expenses and maybe two or three phone calls with my property manager on a bad, bad month, unless it's me calling to have her go look at new places. Um, And I could outsource the Excel document. I just like to have my finger on that. And then, I mean, so I, I spend, I mean, if I, I, I would say it's safe for me to say I spend less than an hour a month on my rentals that I already own. But, you know, for, for the sake of being safe, I'll say two hours a month. But, you know, it's not too bad. So, so. so I know you said, I think, earlier that you are you took on the existing property management. Is that correct? For, or did you pick your own? For that oh, no, yeah, I picked my own. 
Okay, so talk a little bit about that process, how you picked it, you know, because I know a lot of people have had, uh, you know, mediocre to not so great situations with property management. Like, what was that process like vetting uh, property management? Because they're not all created equal. No, they're not. I uh, interviewed three. I almost went with the wrong one. Um, I compiled probably like five or 10 different lists of questions to ask interview ma- or property managers into like a list of 20 questions that I use now. Uh, and I can give you guys the link for that too. That's awesome. Um, Definitely. But the biggest piece, the two biggest pieces that I will tell like anyone looking and all the experience, all that stuff matters, right? But at the end of the day, like the two things that matter the most to me are one, it's the property manager getting paid when the unit's vacant. Because you'd be amazed how many of these schmucks try to write in that they get that monthly amount, no matter if the property is rented or not. Like that's just their steady amount. Like, no, yeah. go to hell. You are not getting a penny if that place is vacant because you need an incentive to rent my house. Um, right. <laughs> take. Take like never sign anything, no matter how amazing the property management company is, tell them you need to take a copy of the contract that you would be signing with them home and actually read the dang thing. Read all the fees, look for all the whatever and compare that way. Because the one property manager that I was about to sign like in the office had an amazing office presence, a cute secretary. They did this cool like walk me around the building and show me all the working pieces and the one that I went with was like working out of a, the back office of a apartment complex and had only been in business for like two months. But the difference in fees was going to be like like one was like the full first month's rent plus 10 percent monthly. They got paid even if the place was vacant, plus marketing fees, plus this. And the one I went with is like seven percent gross and like I pay for marketing. Um, but, you know, it's marketing. I would have so to do no, like no first month. No, that's awesome. Yeah, she's and she's amazing. Like every time I tell people about what my property manager does for me, they're like, "How'd you find her? Can I have her number?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Like I'm 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 almost at the point where I'm going to start to asking her like, okay, can you charge people nine percent and give me the two? Because I'm sending you way too much business. You're going to get too busy for me. I got to get something out of this. Yeah, but, okay. <laughs> uh, um, but she's awesome. Um, and I wouldn't have known that had I not shopped around because I would have gone with the shiny nice guy with the cute secretary. Um, and I would be miserable right now i mean he might have been a great property manager but it would have been an expensive property manager right so those are probably the uh, biggest questions and then um sorry uh the last piece that i always tell people is like tell them what you expect to do over the next five ten years because you need to be a good fit for them too so if you don't tell them that like if you tell a property manager you want to buy 100 properties in the next year they will tell you with their eyeballs in their face whether they can handle that or not they may very well just be like Oh my God. Like, okay, well, I'm going to go elsewhere. Um, but people forget yeah. that piece. People forget like you need to be a good fit for them too, or you're going to overwhelm your property manager and then they're going to suck. Mm-hmm. It's going to be partially mm-hmm. your fault. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you can take on property management that has two, you know, already has too many units, right? And you come in with them with, you know, just 10 or whatever, and they don't pay as much attention to your units as they do some of the other ones. I've heard a lot of people with those type of stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so how does blended retirement system affect uh, military financial planning? I think it's great. I swapped over to it. Everyone and their mother told me not to, um, but I wasn't sure that I was going to stay in for the full 20. So I made the switch and I'm glad I did because I'm going in the reserves in two years. So I'm not staying for the full 20. Um, so it, it, it it's a bummer for me to have switched at that point because what they did was instead of normal retirement or old retirement, you earn two and a half percent of your, so basically you get two and a half percent of your gross pay or your base pay for every year that you served by the time you retired. So if you did 20, you get 50%. If you did 30, you do 75%, whatever. Um, They took that from 2.5% to 2%. So where I got hosed is when I made the swap, 
I didn't get to keep my two and a half percent for that first 10 years. So I lost literally 5% of my base pay by making the, for retirement, by making the swap. But they do the match up to 5% in your 401k and that's the win. So if you're joining the military right now and you're like, oh man, you know, I might get 40% of my retirement check instead of 50 if I only do 20 years, like, okay, sure. But you're going to be able to put at the first year you enter the military, that's like $171 a month going into your 401k that grows every year you get a promotion, a pay raise or whatever. Um, so even at $171 a month, your 401k is going to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you retire at 60 years old, just off that piece. And that's not including the 5% you're putting in to get that match. So I'm a huge fan of it because, well, for me, so I'm not in the Air Force, right? I'm in the Marine Corps. We have a very, very high rate of not making it for the full retirement time. Um, because we're not to say the Air Force isn't, but we're hard on people, right? Like I'm, I'm literally home this month because I tore my PCL training and I've got knee surgery. I've got a, in the last two years, I've had like three knee injuries, got a hearing aid, you know, like I'm falling apart. Um, and I'm not 30 yet. I know I look it, but, um, we're not easy on people. So like I was dead set on going to 20 and I'm not going to make it because I, I'm just going to go reserves. I just can't, not that I can't handle it, but other things came up, but a lot of people don't make it. But when you're in that first three or four years and you're like, hell yeah, I'm going to make it to 20 years. Like, no, you should do the blended retirement system because you should be prepping for the what if, because you get to, you get to take that with you. If you do 15 years or 15 is a bad example, because I think it's 15, you get set pay. But if you do 10 years and get out of the military, like high five, thanks. That's it. There's no retirement. There's no separations pay. There's no like whatever, unless it's like a medical discharge. So that's why the blended retirement system is so powerful, because it gives these guys something they can take with them when they exit the service, assuming they actually put money into it, which if you're listening to this, you better at least be putting 5% in or you're an idiot. You're losing money. You're like, they will give you free money. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. So I know you've done a lot of creative financing and uh, what is it? The cattle financing we've heard you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so that five acres I told you I bought that wasn't an investment. Um, you know, I ended up paying. So the guy was, he was going to sell, it was a 10 acre plot and he was going to sell the whole 10 acres to somebody. And I'd been telling him for a while, like when you sell the house, I want the five in between our houses. And so he's like, well, the guy wants all five. And I was like, I'll pay 2000 an acre more than he's paying. Um, so I gave him 40 for, you know, five acres that was really only worth 30. Um, because I wanted that five acres, I wanted to control it, but then I'm like, okay, great. Well, now I've got a $350, $400 a month payment on this thing. That's not an investment at all. Like I'm not building on it. I'm not doing, I just want the land so that there's a buffer between me and the guy behind me. And I've got 10 acres to do my thing. And, uh, I was like, how can I make this an investment? And my father-in-law does cattle. So it was like, well, we have four or five cows. Why don't we just let them grow to 10 and then out of the beef cow money from that, we'll pay the mortgage. And it, I mean, it's not a hundred percent. It depends on the year. Like cattle prices right now are terrible. So I'm not selling any of them. But last year I made a thousand dollars, uh, take home after I paid all my mortgage and kept the cattle money. Um, wow. so yeah, I was cash flowing off of essentially making cheeseburgers for people. <laughs> <laughs> so what other, uh, and they financing the Sorry. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up on a farm, so I know yeah. a little bit about that as well. Uh, so what uh, creative financing ideas for newbies? Like, what do you feel about that? Um, you know, I personally use a lot of creative financing. I know you have as well. Um, you know, talk a little bit to that other creative financing ideas. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is be safe. Don't over leverage. I've definitely over leveraged a little bit. Um, so I'm speaking as a hypocrite here. But, you know, 
make sure that you can cover your your butt if things go wrong. So I know that if the world falls apart, I have a decent chunk of change in a 401k that I can pull out to cover myself. Um, that being said, I love seller financing. People, people, everybody loves seller financing because it's totally your terms. Everything is totally negotiable, like whatever you guys want to do. But it's like nobody gets it because they're like, oh, I don't know how to do seller financing. Well, I'm going to let you guys in on a secret real quick for how to do seller financing. When you're going to talk to the property man owner or the selling agent or the writing a contract or even before you write the contract or whatever, you have to say these magic words. Hey, are you open to seller financing? And then holy shit, like a lot of people are. So I don't know. It's amazing to me how many people say, oh, I can't find any seller financing deals. Well, have you asked like, well, it doesn't say on the MLS that they're open to seller financing. Most of them don't even know what yeah. that is. Yeah. Like you're like, man. <laughs> A lot so of guys this, love it. Yeah, I, this duplex I'm in right now, I, I use seller financing. And really the the key to it, I tell people all the time, is finding out what they need. Yeah. So the person I bought it from, he was an older gentleman. He was getting into retail. He wanted to sell off his um, his you know his units. Uh, and so I just basically straight up asked him, I was like, what do you need? To, you know, What do you really need this place for? He's like, I need the money and I need 35 grand right now to start renovations on uh, this retail property. I was like, I was like, bingo, that's what he needs. He needs 35 grand. So I was like, hey, I'll give you 40 grand, you know, tomorrow to hold it. If you'll give me 0% for six months till I can get owner financing, because that's the how, how long I had to wait uh, to get out of my 203K property I, I had at the time. And so he's like, cool, I'll give you 0%, you know, interest, six months. You won't even have to make any payment. You just give me 40 grand. And so, you know, you can get creative with seller financing if you just figure out what they need. And it's that's not always it. black and white. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I've done that. I've done a big lease option. Um, this is probably about as creative as I've gotten. I've used the HELOC. I've used the personal loans. I've done, you know, credit card. <laughs> I've kind of done the the works. Um, but yeah, seller financing is the best because of that. Like I'm, I'm, well, I was going to be making an offer. I can't even decide if it's worth making an offer. The numbers are so terrible on this 12 unit. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to make an offer, but it's going to be one of those offers where I'm like, here I owe you an offer, but I know you're going to say no. So thanks. Yeah. Um, but you know, my offer is basically going to be like, I'll give you, you know, $150,000 at a thousand dollars a month for a hundred months, like not giving you interest. I'm not like, that's it. Take it or leave it. Um, and that's going to be seller finance. Now I'll, I'll also be nice enough to offer him like 110 if I do bank financing, but he wants like way more than that. And it's, Anyway, um, but yeah, you can you can do no interest. You can do no interest for a year. You can do interest only. You can do – I mean the sky is absolutely the limit. And the beautiful thing with it – this is going to sound like I'm a schmuck. I haven't really done this to anyone yet. I say done this to anyone yet, but they agreed to it. So it's not a schmuck thing, but man, it sounds like a terrible sales property, sales method. But like when you do seller financing, the guys who really kill it with seller financing are the ones who say, hey, you want $100,000 for this home. I'll give you eighty, dollars but – with 10% interest and this represents a final sale price of like, I don't know, $180,000. And they're like, oh wow, how's that? Well, if I pay 10% interest to you over the next 30 years, the total payments will equal like 180 grand. And then you're like, oh man, holy shit, that's amazing. And then you buy the place for 80 at 10% interest. And then a year later you refinance and you never pay the other 100,000 in interest, um, which is kind of a, I guess, kind of a dirty way of getting yourself a huge discount, but, uh, oh man, it's brilliant. And there are so many ways to play with seller financing. I mean, you can, the other beautiful thing with seller financing, I never did this. Uh, the guy wasn't open to it, but you can say like my seller financing payment was like $200 a month, um, on this 10 unit. 
And I could have very easily said, hey, I know it's $2,400 for the year. Um, if you want, I'll pay you $2,000 for the entire year up front. And I just saved myself $400 and basically, you know, not only negative interest, he's essentially paying me interest for the seller financing because people don't like delayed gratification. So they will take $2,000 in January as opposed to $200 a month, um, which is a yeah. brilliant way to save money on on a note. So Awesome. Cool. Awesome. So what's the biggest mistake you've made to date? Yeah. Well, I'm in a quarter million dollar lawsuit right now, but I can't necessarily talk to all of the uh, issues with that. Um, essentially, a lot of the contract wasn't upheld by the seller. And so I'm trying to get all my money back out of it because he sold me a, a Corvette and gave me the keys to a Honda. Um, but like but but a Honda that he was still driving and I was just in the passenger seat. Right. Like yeah. it, was just this, it was just a weird, weird deal. Um I would say in that deal, the biggest mistake I made was not having everything in writing. So most of our negotiation stuff was in writing. All our contractors in writing, like we did everything right. But we had two or three phone calls where it was like me, my agent, him, his agent on the phone. And what I should have done is the moment we got off the phone, sent him an email, said, this is everything we talked about. Please respond to this email so that I know you concur. And I didn't do that. So there's like two or three bullets in there where he's like, no, I never said that. And I'm like, you son of a gun. He's like, no, I never said that. I'm like, I've got four people on this phone call and it's literally like you and your paid honcho is disagreeing with us. But, you know, it's just that's on me for not putting it in writing anywhere um, because I just trusted the guy. So that and then don't trust yeah. people, um, which I'm terrible <laughs> about. I trust people way too much. Me too. Um, so on on the like those are the ones that have cost me the most is trusting people and not putting things in writing because of that. But I will say as far as like basic newbie stuff, cause you're probably not going to negotiate a $3 million, 40 unit lease option purchase, uh, your first year, um, man, utilities, utilities is probably like the number one thing that newbies forget about. Like they will look at the MLS and say, Oh cool. Tenants pay utilities and not verify that. And I have seen way too many people buy a property and not realize that the tenants don't pay utilities, the landlord does. And now they're out, you know, depending on the property. I mean, my my 10 unit is like eleven hundred dollars a month in utilities because it's 60 years old. Um, and I'm I'm paying a portion of that, but that was in my I knew that, and then I did rubs, so I'm not paying much of it anymore. Um, but I've seen people buy a duplex and think like, oh yeah, MLS says tenants pay utilities and they're a hundred dollars a month, and then get a utility bill that's three times as much and the tenants yeah. don't pay it, and you're like, yeah. Oh, oops. And then, and, that's a, a, and then a water bill and a sewer bill or, you know, yeah. Yeah. And that's a super easy one to verify. You called it every, I have not ever run into a county that won't give, like, if you say, Hey, I'm buying this, I just want to see the last year's report. Like I've never run into a county that won't give you that. So yeah. as an agent, I'm constantly talking uh, to my clients about that. Yeah. That'll kill your cash flow. I mean, right there. And it's super simple and people don't think about it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, a lot of people talk about their income being the problem, why they can't get into real estate or why they can't do something. Can you speak a little bit to why maybe income isn't the problem? Mm. You're the damn problem. Uh, <laughs> no, it's your expenses. And I'm guilty of this. I spend too much money on crap I don't need. Like I'm sure if I look around my room right now, I can find, oh, look at this. This is a really cool pen that costs like $5 that I didn't need. Um you know, but I laugh because people in the military are always like, oh, I don't make enough money. Like, OK, first off, you're looking at your W-2. You're omitting the like 40,000 in tax free money that you made and your medical benefits, health insurance, everything else. You make plenty like for me. It drives me nuts because people will say like, 
you know, a McDonald employee makes this much an hour. That's $40,000 a year. And I only made $38,000 a year and I'm serving my country. And I'm like, hey, dumbass, um, you made like 70 if you factor in all of your benefits. Like in Hawaii, I was making $108,000 if you factored all my benefits in. Mm. It's not bad. Wow. Yeah. Here I'm making like 88, 89, something like that. Again, not bad. Um, but my W-2 will only show like 42. 45, yeah. something, something like that. It would be very easy yeah. for me to say, like, I make no money, but that's not true. I've yeah. got all these benefits. So anyway, so for one, if you hear service members say that, you know, feel free to tell them, like, hey, man, like, no offense, but uh, you're wrong. So stop whining because <laughs> um, it drives me nuts. But that's never the problem ever. Like, I don't care if you're making $7 a month, uh, right? If Or $7 an hour. I guess $7 a month might be a problem. But if you're making yeah. $7 an hour, you can make it work. It just means you're not going to live a luxurious lifestyle. The problem now is everybody wants to look rich rather than be rich. So their expenses, they buy. I have seen so many of these new iPhones that's been out for like a month. Like I see it, you know, you turn the corner and there's like the little three lens iPhone. And I just laugh because I'm like, that guy just spent $1,400 on a phone. And I guarantee he had the 10 and it worked fine. Um, and you, not yeah, if that's what gets you going, like if that's your reward, I mean, if you know Mark Ferguson, the guy buys a Lamborghini when he reaches a certain point or uh, yeah, yeah. who's the, who's the other one that's really big now? I've got his book up there um, who's like uh, lives in L.A. and has like Pagani's galore and he's like bajillionaire. Um, these guys buy super expensive toys, but as a reward for what they've accomplished. But the other what people do is they'll go buy the new Jordans, the new iPhone, the new watch, the new Oakley's, the new whatever and then they'll look rich and they'll have no money left to invest and they don't realize right. that what the wealthy people do is they buy a home that pays money and then they use the money being paid to buy their toy like sure. um, like you know those guys aren't buying a like mark ferguson might have paid for his cat his lamborghini in cash but he probably did it with profits from a flip if he didn't yeah. then he probably bought an asset that's covering that payment and once it's paid off he's still got the asset um so I, it's, it's I, always your expenses I and that lamborghini was, that he bought increase in value since he bought it exactly it's a collector's car yeah so i can't, I can't remember if it was rich dad poor dad or uh cashville quadrant or one of those but uh kiyosaki explains in one of his books how that was their whole motivation like oh i want to go I, i'm pretty sure it was a lamborghini that he wanted uh it, it was it was a card yeah and he's like oh i want this and he's like well i'm not gonna buy it until i until i find an asset which was a multifamily property that'll pay for it so he goes out purchases uh you know multifamily property you know, gets the cash flow enough to pay for his car and he goes out and buys his perfect car, but he gets it paid for by his tenants every month. Yeah. And, and then the other thing, like people get wrapped around like saving their $5 on coffee and cigarettes. Like you're not going to get rich that way. If you want your coffee every day, enjoy your coffee every day. But house hack and cut your living expenses yeah. in half. That's your biggest, your biggest expense is your house, your housing. Your next two are generally your food and your commute. So if you live 40 minutes away from home, hey, that's great, but that's adding to your bill a lot. Like if you read uh, Scott Trench's book, uh, Set for Life, he talks yeah. about like how he tried to live like super close to work so he could walk or ride his bike. And then he cuts his living expenses through house hacking. And then you don't eat out a ton. I mean, you know, eat out, enjoy yourself, but don't do it a ton. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm terrible about that. I love me some food. So that's my my weakness, but. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's always your expenses. And, you know, Diego Cortez, who we had on the show as well, you know, he talked about how he house hacked and, that, you know, the money made from his house hack paid for his car, which the average American, 50% of your income goes towards housing and transportation, right? And he increases, you know, savings rate by 50% just by house hacking and paying for his car through it. 
Whereas cutting out coffee and going out to eat may save a couple thousand dollars a year instead of, you know, a gigantic number uh, when you just house hack. Right. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to cut back on maybe uh, coffee and things like that. But you can save way more by attacking the big expenses, which set for life. That's one of my favorite books of all time, just because he, you know, definitely defines that. Like, you know, don't penny pinch on the things you like, you know, do it on the big things. Oh, and then let me piss off half our audience right now. Um, here's the other one that people do, say all the time is if you live in San Francisco and it's too expensive for you to do X, Y, Z, either shut up or move out of San Francisco, figure it out. Like I can go back to Missouri when I, when I get out of the military, I go back to Missouri. My cost of living will only need to be like 40 grand. My wife makes enough for that. Anything I make on the side will be pocket cash. Whereas yeah. right now, if I stay in San Diego and we make 40 grand, like Okay, well, we're broke. We're poor. Um, we can't afford anything but a house. Now what? Um, so I'm not saying you can't live in these nice places, but if you choose to live somewhere like San Diego and you're not house hacking and getting rid of all those expenses, like don't tell me you don't have money and you can't leave. You can. You can work remotely. You can find a way. You can get a job elsewhere. Maybe you've got this great job that makes $80,000, but if you move to the Midwest, you get a great job that makes $50,000, but it's like twice as much that you get to keep. So anyway, there's my my rant. I hear that all the time, and I'm like, no, you can leave. They're like, oh, well, I, I won't be able to get a job for 80000 You don't need a job for 80000 in the Midwest. Yes. <laughs> so, right. Like, right, for sure. All right, so uh, what are your long-term real estate goals? Oh, okay. So a couple big ones. Um, man, if you listen to my vision statement, they're crazy, but we're not going to get crazy on this. Uh, I want to make enough money through my real estate that I make $5,000 a month net um, that I get to pull out of my real estate while it still grows on its own. So I basically, I want, I think that comes out to like 50 units that are making $150, $200 a month so that I have enough to pull my 5,000 out so that I don't have to work on anything other than what I want to. And then I still have enough that it's it's growing on its own because there's still some cash flow left in the real estate. And, you know, I want to do that. Uh, a large portion of that will be me operating uh, long-term rentals. But some of that will be fun stuff. Some of that might be I buy three tiny homes and Airbnb them. Um, I'll do limited partnerships on some syndications because I got buddies that do that. And if I have extra cash, that seems like a good place to store it for a while. Um, you know, I'll probably dabble in some more house flips because they're – crazy and chaotic and they're I kind of like that so they're not they're yeah. not they're not my thing and I'm failing at it right now I've got this one that's going super bad but it's fun even though it's I mean I say bad it's still gonna make money um, but yeah. it's kind of fun you know so I think long term it'll just be to be able to have fun because real estate's fun um, and just work on what I want when I want where I want on my terms perfect perfect so so you've talked a little bit about uh, some books already. Uh, speak to maybe a mindset or business book that is one of your favorites. Okay, so I just read this book. I should have grabbed this on the ground over there called The Like Switch, and I've been recommending it to everyone. It's basically like how to get people to like you through body language. Um, and like it opens up, this guy was an FBI agent, and it opens up him telling a story about how he convinced a foreign spy to turn and spy on that nation for the US. And he did it essentially by like standing on the sidewalk for 30 days while the guy walked by. So that he was just every day the guy saw this dude. And then when he finally went up and started talking to him. So like as the month progresses, he'd like spend a like it would be at first it was like me behind a newspaper and like show you my face. And then it's like me standing on the sidewalk. That's like me walking my dog past you. Then it's like me standing in line behind you in the coffee shop, like just gets closer and more proximity, more duration with the guy. And they eventually start talking and it was like turned. It was like he just built this huge no like and trust rapport by just it talks about a. Like the duration you're around someone, the proximity, like how close you are to them and the intensity of that interaction and how you can just get people to like you by that. And then it goes into like 
if somebody's talking to you and they raise their eyebrow like this, it means this, and you can tweak your conversation. If they do, you know, if they tilt their head to the side, exposing their carotid artery, it means they like you. And if they don't, then they're being defended. It's super, super, super detailed. It's, it's very much like Never Split the Difference, but for how to get people to like you. Um, so I, I say that book as it pertains to business because the guy who recommended it to me is a huge syndication capital raiser. And he's like, this book is why I make money because people are willing to give me money. I'm like, huh, okay. Uh, but then on top of that, I'd say the four hour work week because um, especially for service members, like efficiency in the W2 place is just not thought of. And so that's a huge one for getting in the right mentality to do. Instead of thinking, how can I get, you know, how can I watch that clock go by and do enough not to get fired? It's how can I get as much done as humanly possible to progress my goals? in the least amount of time. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So what are your uh, favorite real estate books? Man, there's so many good real estate specific books, but I'm, I'm really, I would say the one that started it, I, I mean, probably the book on investing in real estate with no and low money down by Brandon Turner was, is one of the two because it's all about creative re real estate. And then, you know, they've got the book on rental property investing. Those are both great. Um, the one that's probably been the most impactful to me is David Green's Long Distance Real Estate, just because I do that. And I already was doing a lot of what he talks to in the book, but reading that helped me refine my, like he had way better scripts for finding a real estate agent than I did. So I basically copied those and throw them in a Google Drive. And if I go to another market, I pull that. Um, so he helped me refine and get better at how to essentially do more with much, much less, which is yeah. pretty huge. Great book. Yeah. Great book. So you have a lot of great content, uh, and I know there a lot of military people learn so much from you uh, and some of the advice and some of the things you can point them to. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, and you know, of course, we'll link some of the show notes in the show notes, some of the things you put in. But where can people find out more about you? Yeah, uh, the Military Millionaire Podcast for one, and then um, I have a YouTube channel and all that other stuff. Basically, if you just type in from military to millionaire in Google, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, I should appear. And if I'm not, then tell me because I'm doing something wrong with my marketing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, from military to millionaire, uh, it's all about my my journey to eventually be worth enough that I can say, ta-da, and then yeah. keep, keep doing the same damn thing because I'm having fun. So That's awesome, man. We really appreciate you coming on. I learned a lot. Uh, you know, that I can help with people. And, and I know a ton of people in the military can learn a bunch from you. So we really appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate that guys. I, uh, this was fun. I like, I like doing podcasts where there's two people, like for whatever reason, it's just more fun, a dynamic that way than it is like, <laughs> yeah, one -on -one. yeah, so. three, yeah, we, uh, cool. we really, we really enjoy it. All right, yeah, man. Well, uh, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You guys have a great day. All right. All right. All right. Thanks David. Yep. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. New episodes released every Wednesday and Friday.